0: Welcome to part six of the culture classroom. And actually, part six feeds into part seven. They're kind of joined. As Coach Weaver, we're going to look at the alpha teammate.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one as well. Uh, this two part series on this one, the alpha teammate, we're going to look at bad habits that make a selfish teammate.
0: So, part one of the alpha teammate really picks up where episode five left off on body language. And when we talk about an alpha male, It's a noun, and the alpha male is defined as the dominant male animal in a particular group. Sounds like predator mindset written all over it. Or it can also be a man tending to assume a dominant or domineering role in social or professional situations. Sounds like the best of the best.
1: Yeah, and I think of alpha teammates. I think of alpha males. Uh, They're going to be the ones that stand out the most to you. So as we look at this more that we're going to look at the bad part of what an alpha teammate is, what an alpha male is. So there's going to be a good side of this and a bad side of this. So I'm interested to see how we dive into today and see what that body language looks like of a bad teammate and an alpha teammate.
0: Yeah, and maybe building off a of body language, it's also all the other stuff, the three-ring circus that goes on with an alpha teammate as well. Yeah. And when I think of the compelling question for the next 20 minutes or so, I want you to think about what does alpha mean to you? What does that look like? If I say alpha teammate, what qualities instantly come to your mind? I want you to push pause, take a moment, go back to your notepad, and write down a few qualities.
1: All right, so JT as our listeners had a chance to reflect on what an alpha means to them. You know, and I think about this with athletics. You know, you have bad teammates depending on where you play. You may come across like a lot of them. You might not come across but very few. But they're about as certain as in athletics as death and taxes are in life. I mean, they're going to be around your program. You know, I I think back in my 14 years of coaching, we have good teammates and bad teammates. But I want to look at more at, you know, at every level that we have of sports, so junior high, high school, semi-pro, professional, and even uh, collegiate. Uh, Where do those selfish teammates stem from? Well, I
0: think it's a great question, first of all. And I think it's a reflection of society. Uh, just I look at Dennis, and we have all walks of life from every corner of the globe in our town, in a town of eight thousand people. And you know, I was waiting after practice last night with a kid because they didn't have a ride. And you know, practice is over at five. And I, I send out the parent flyer and I make the phone calls and everyone knows that going in. And this. In, he's waiting around, he's waiting around, it's 5.30 and then 5.45. And eventually I just looked at him and I said, look, what's going on? Where's your ride? Because I can't just leave a middle school kid unsupervised while I go do whatever other things that I have in my life. And so he didn't know, so then I logged back into my computer in my classroom. We call his parents and it's actually his stepdad who's at home right now. He, he told me he was texting his sister first. So I'm like, okay, good. Maybe your sister's in high school. Maybe they'll be on their way turns out his sister's 10, so she, she's mm. not coming. Mm. But that's the only communication he has home. Doesn't know his number, his phone doesn't have service, totally at the mercy of whatever resources I can help provide and point him in direction. So we call his stepdad, you know, and stepdad hangs up on him. We call back, hangs up again. Finally, I, I kind of ask the kid, I'm like, hey, make sure that he's coming and say please and thank you, will you? And, you know, his stepdad was like, I told you, yes. But I looked at him and I was like, no, he really didn't. Um, and so then I get probed a little bit more. As we walked back out to the main part of our school, by the atrium where he was going to be picked up, I go, tell me about your stepdad. Is he a nice guy? And, and the kids assured him that he was and, you know, that it's a great household. And I go, but where's your mom? And his mom, it turns out, works in another town about an hour away and stays up there throughout the week. And only comes home on the weekend. And I I think about, like, that wouldn't fly in my household. And, you know, not just because I have a job or whatever. Like, I drove an hour and a half one way for four years from Omaha to Denison. So three hours on the road a day to make it work for my family because the opportunity was better here. But my wife had opportunity in Omaha. So we just made that balance work. I can't imagine what it's like to say goodbye to your teenage son who needs you at home for a whole week and then only see him on the weekend. And so that is the status quo here in Denison. We have some nice families with nice resources, but for the most part, being in a factory town, it's poor, uneducated. We're almost 75% free and reduced lunch, and the parents work at the factory, and the only expectations for the kids is to do the same.
1: Wow. Mm.
0: So that's a big, long, you know, summation of the question. But I guess what I'm saying is, uh, we had a we had a presenter here back in the fall, Dr. Mike Rule, and he's with the Marzano Research Institute. And you know, we always tell kids, experience the real world. The real world's going to get you. What you're doing in the classroom isn't going to work in the real world. And I think what we forget sometimes as educators is that our kids, like the kid I was with last night, are experiencing more of the real world now than they ever will again in their life.
1: Uh, That's so true. You know, whatever the case may be, whatever they do, you know, selfish teammates generally exhibit the same behavior on the playing field, in the classroom, in the office. What they're experiencing now is what they're going to experience in life. So it's not like this learned behavior of like, oh, this is how I'm going to be. Like they're experiencing, like you said, right now their mentality is being formed and their, their, their minds are being formed to how they're gonna be later in life by what they do right now.
0: Yeah, and there's actually a, lot, a growing body of research that's coming out with this. If any of our listeners are familiar with ACEs, it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And the max ACE score is 10. And you could have zero ACEs, but the fact is, like, 75% of Americans have at least one ACE. Mm. And ACEs range from, you know, domestic abuse against the mom, that's, that's an ACE, to, you know, any kind of sexual abuse, uh, to any kind of drug use in the household. And there's, there's these 10 areas that are all ACEs. And something like if you have a score of four or more, the research indicates that your life expectancy is 20 years less
1: than the average American. Well, JT, it sounds like aces is kind of a precursor to what maybe bullying might be or selfish teammates might be because those sound so similar. And look, man, as you were explaining that, I was just taken back on all the problems that that are happening in this world, and we're living it right now. Our kids are living it right now. The kids that we coach are living it right now. And it's just, it's so hard to see, you know, and we talk about bullying, and I'm gonna share a personal story real quick. And that's kind of my soft spot, is bullying, because I was bullied in fourth grade. And I might just say like, oh, they were just like pushing me around the hallway, man. I got big, huge ears like Dumbo, and people were like thumping me in the back of the head, like on the ears, just watching them wiggle, to where people would steal my lunch money, to where people would, like I would literally, JT, Missed the bus on purpose because the people on the bus were bullying. Like, right when I got on the bus, right when I was at the bus stop, I was being bullied. And I go back and I think, and I played eighth grade football with one of these dudes. And, man, he was a bad teammate. I'm not going to say his name. I don't even know if he's listening. But, man, you can – I go back now to fourth grade to when I played with him in eighth grade – and my goodness, I man, they, they they're so similar and they, they're equal to what you are doing now, to how it equates to your, to be, you being a teammate. I mean, I, I just, I don't know.
0: Uh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Coach Weaver. And isn't it powerful how some of the aces we have in our life take us right back to that 10-year-old version of yourself? Absolutely. So, as you're telling your story, I'm instantly thinking about my own story, too. And I think that's the power. You know, we always say sticks and stones, they break our bones, but words won't hurry. It. It's all wrong. Yeah. And that stuff doesn't just go away. And when we try to build a team, a cohesive unit that's bonded together by a cause bigger than themselves, we have to figure in all the different personalities and aces that exist in the room. Otherwise, if you don't, your team will become a cancer from the inside out.
1: Mm hmm. <laughs>
0: Cry, baby. Cry for
1: me. Come on. I think we all remember that movie. We all remember that that scene. Yeah.
0: It it runs in my house on TBS for 24 hours. I'm not sure I've seen the whole movie start to finish. You know, in one continuous sitting, I kind of tune in for a scene, and then I get up and do something else, and I come back, and it's a different scene. Classic Christmas story.
1: Yeah. Kind of feel sorry for Ralphie right there. You know, and, and the struggle and the pain that he gets, I mean, that that's the definition of a bully. And now put that with your team. Do you have guys in your locker room that do that to younger players? Do you have seniors or juniors doing that to sophomores or freshmen? And if you do, that needs to be corrected. Yeah,
0: you know, Mike Leach, who just got hired at uh, Mississippi State today, as the new head football coach there, he writes in his book, Swing the Sword, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. And that's the same with bullying. I know we can't control all the life that's happened to our kids, what they've experienced up to that point, but you're either coaching it, coaching them how to get past that, coaching them how to navigate the world of locker room, or you're allowing it to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's so powerful to, to think about What we allow, and and a big problem, you know, and I I fight with this with, uh, with everywhere I've been, I try and tell coaches, like, go in the locker room. Go to where those guys live before practice and after practice and see what goes on in there. Just see what goes on in there. And if anything, let them, you know, see you going into their environment. And if you see something going wrong, like a bullying thing or a hazing thing, put it to a stop and say, guys, that's not who we stand for, and that's a great teaching moment. But I see a lot of coaches, they get through with practice, and they're like, oh, we're tired, we're just going to go to our office, we're going to sit down, we've got equipment stuff to take up, we've got clothes to wash. Or even before practice, they're doing um, pre-practice schedules, making sure everybody's on the same page. But I think you have to take intentional time to say, hey, I'm going to walk to this locker room for like one or two minutes, see the guys, high-five them, ask them how their day went, and then do the same after practice. Just go in and ask how they thought practice went. Hey, guys, what y'all got going on tonight? Do you have any tests tomorrow? Just kind of be real with them. But It also lets you combat any negativity or bullying that might be going on inside your locker room.
0: Yeah, and when you talk about this kind of bully teammate, you're really kind of talking about dirty players. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in professional sports, dirty players are all over. Uh, and they are, they're mainstream, and we see about them, and we watch them play on TV all the time. And Sue, Oh, boy, he gets kicked. I thought he got hit, but that was the push. About this one, but he's not going to get to play anymore this afternoon. There he is at the bottom of that pile. The takedown there.
1: Yeah, that's uh, – there it is. I mean, first of – Coaches, if you were listening to this and and you're reflecting back and you think about what we've talked about, about alpha teammates and what selfish players look like, what uh, bullying looks like on your football team or your basketball team, and now we're talking about dirty players, have any of you ever played against a dirty player? And if you have, take time right now and pause and think about how it made you feel. Tell them, you know, we know that it sucks. And then give an example of when you played against a dirty player.
0: And Coach Weaver, I think that's such a great challenge. I'm going to challenge our coaches to go one step farther, go the extra mile on this. After you've had time to reflect and you've written down your experience, I'm going to challenge you to take that to your team and share it with the team. Well, Coach Weaver, I think one of the quotes that's on this PowerPoint that we're looking at, that we're kind of using as a framework for this episode, that really resonated with me is no one on your team is worth a 15-yard penalty. And when I think about my role in a school, in a community, in the workforce, we see poor team members here too. And so there's different characteristics that impact the work environment the same way that bully teammates impact the locker room.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, we were going through this PowerPoint, and I started looking at what makes uh, a selfish teammate. And that's kind of what I was thinking about selfish teammates, poor team members, stuff like that. And I had a list of five, and you might can help me maybe add two more or three more. But here's what I was thinking of in my 14 years of coaching and even just playing from junior high um, all the way through my senior year of college. So, one, I thought about. Selfish teammates, they blame coaches and their teammates. Another one I thought of was they make excuses. Poor team members make excuses. Thirdly, I thought about they could care less about their teammate's success. They could care less about their inner circle and they're not celebrating the circle. Fourthly, they put in minimum time was marginal effort so they they're the ones that get to uh, practice late and they leave early but yet they want the most out of hey throw me the ball or um, you know let me run the ball or why am I not starting on ba- in basketball or whatever you know another one is their know-it-alls and this is the one I'm stuck at uh, they're they're the BC Ders, they're the know-it-alls So you know you've had these people. You correct them. Oh, I know, Coach. When really, they don't know. And they act as know-it-alls. So are there any that stick out to you uh, with those five? And I just outlined them from my years of of playing and my years of coaching. Um, You know, is there anything you want to add to that?
0: Well. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about, obviously, the people that lack perspective, you know, the know-it-all, like what you're saying, the people that don't see that there's not a problem, Uh, the people that, you know, don't have that filter to look through, to guide. I'm also thinking of people that are entitled. It's really hard to work with entitled people. I think about professional development and education. The next time you have a PD, look around the room and see who's actively engaged and who's, you know working on other things or distracted by something else or talking to their neighbor while the presenter is talking. Or I've even seen teachers sleep in PD before.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's so true.
0: That is so true. And and no one wants to go there. No one wants to do that, but it's part of sharpening the act. It's part of our job. The state mandates it from us. And you and I are kind of glass half full people anyway. So I always look at it as, look, I'm here. You know, it's my
1: responsibility to be here. I might as well get something out of it. Right. So here, coaches, I want you to share this with your team. As you're going through this and you listen to it, the PowerPoint outlines six examples of maybe what your teammates do. And you can start thinking about, and without naming names, guys on your team that do this, or even coaches on your team. They have attendance issues. They're lazy. They blame others. They gossip. They gossip they lack responsibility, and then lastly, they don't share the credit. So there's a quote that says, and I don't know who quotes it because it's been around forever, it's amazing what can get done when nobody cares who gets the credit. And that's so powerful because as long as the the main thing is the main thing and the job gets done, it shouldn't matter who gets the credit.
0: That's right. You know, we kind of try to remind our team of that all the time and we use that same verbiage. The main thing, let's keep it the main thing. So if your main thing is winning a football game on Friday night, that needs to stay the main thing throughout the week. You know, if your main thing is a test you're giving in the classroom, then the main thing needs to stay. That's the focus of all the test prep that goes into that and all the homework and everything that filters into that as well. So keep the main thing the main thing, and those six problems won't surface. You know coach weaver i think about one of my favorite movies of all time and it's a little bit dated but it's office based and when they're doing their corporate downsizing and everyone has to go meet with the bobs i really like that scene would you walk us through a typical day for you yeah great well i generally come in at least 15 minutes late uh I use the side door. That way lumber can't see me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. JT, do you want that
1: guy Uh, running the ball on fourth and one? (laughs)
0: Uh, Not at all. If you're going to sleep for an hour at our team meetings, I don't (laughs) want to give you the ball at any point throughout the game. Wow. Especially on fourth and
1: one. Yeah. Uh, How many, so as our listeners are, and I'm going to bounce this off of you, how, how many, as you listen to that clip, how many players on your team do you know do that? How many coaches on your staff do you know that do that? That they zone out when they're watching film on a Sunday, or when you're watching film review on a Monday, that you got some of those guys that are spaced out and were, they're thinking about something else, but they're not really watching film. Those are typically yeah, the guys. Those are typically the guys, JT, that have messed up on Friday night.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. I don't want a kid to come dressed for the homecoming game if they're thinking about who they're taking to the dance and what the next three hours looks like after the game. Yeah. Coach, let's talk a little bit, though,
1: about what makes a great alpha male teammate. Mm. Well, one, they, they want the best for the team. They want what is best for the team, always. So it's a, it's a we over me mentality. They surrender the outcome of I don't care who gets the credit as long as we get the W at the end of the day. They're the ones that, hey, I'll put you on my back. They're the ones that when sprinting's going and the last guy is typically probably an offensive lineman, the guy that finishes first goes back and takes the guy and helps him finish, his, uh, finish the running at the end of practice.
0: You know, I think about the alpha teammate that I want in my locker room is the guy that goes and gets people. You know, they get in their car and they go and they stop at people's houses and they bring them to the weight room or they bring them to practice. Yep. I think about the person – running the group chat. You know, like my kids, they all have group chats. They've got a group running back chat. We've got a group wrestling chat. The people that are encouraging, people that want people to be at practice. And when everyone else is looking for an out, they're the ones that say, oh no, come on, let's do this. I think about the kids that are willing to sacrifice whatever their role is, they're willing to change and adapt to serve whatever the team needs.
1: Yeah, so Albert Einstein had an interesting quote, and I think it's really powerful on on how it's stated, and it says, try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value. And here's what I want you to do, coaches. I want you to have your kids explain what this means to your team. What does this mean inside of your locker room? Yeah. And
0: height kids are going to need some direction. Maybe you even need some direction as a leader or a person of influence. And I just want you to quickly write down in your notepad, how do you add value to your school, your community, your job, your organization, whatever way you serve people, how do you add value?
1: All right. So to ball this all up into uh, what we want our listeners to get out of part six, I, Brian Mitchell says it the best and he says weak people blame others strong people take responsibility
0: this concludes part 6 of the Culture Connection an 8 part series that builds leadership and influence in your team for the resources shared and used throughout this presentation please visit CoachRandyJackson.com and download the PowerPoint Alpha Teammates Part 1 Stay tuned as Coach Weaver and I go deeper into the Alpha teammate in Episode 7. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. The classroom is supported by Lausanne Learning, a nonprofit run by educators for educators with a mission to engage students, empower teachers, and transform schools. Through professional development conferences focusing on active learning, practical resources, and reflective teaching, including fishbowl classrooms, and a unique teacher-to-teacher consulting program, Lausanne Learning is providing the authentic professional development your school needs. Visit them at lawsandlearning.com today to find one of their active learning conferences near you and to learn more about changing education from the ground up.